so we're in the middle of a series called Kingdom Concepts. We're looking at stories in the Bible uh, where Jesus opened the eyes to, our, uh, to us as to what was in the kingdom. Can you turn to Matthew chapter 13 in your Bible? If you don't have a Bible, um, just under a seat near you, there's a Bible. Just grab that. If you don't have a Bible at all, just take that one home with you. We got some others we can replace that with. Uh, so it's your Bible. We want to give it to you. Um, or if you have your phone, you can get the, the Bible app, the Version Bible app, and go to events, and all the sermon notes and all the scriptures I'm going to use today are right there, ready to go for you. In the Bible, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is talking to Jews. Um, well, let me say it this way. Let me just start with a story. I got some new sunglasses. Looking pretty cool. Huh? 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 Yes, thank you. I'm looking all cool with these new glasses I got. The only problem is everything looks yellow. Because, you know, it's yellow lenses. In fact, I got them at Walmart just yesterday, and I, st I was in Walmart in Auburn, and I stepped out, and I looked over at the red roof inn, and it looked like the orange roof inn, because everything's yellow. Everything's got a yellow tint. I mean, right now, if it wasn't for these glasses, I would think you all have jaundice, because everybody looks a little yellow. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is talking to Jews, Jews who had been uh, awaiting for the Messiah to come for what? They were waiting for the Messiah to come to eliminate their enemy. See, in this day, when Jesus, at the day where, where Jesus was talking to the Jews, um, God had given the Jews the land of Israel, but the Roman Empire had been pushing their way in. They've been taking some of the territory. They've been setting up shop in and around Israel. And the Jews said, no, no, we got, God's supposed to, you know, this is our land. We're supposed to get Rome out of here. So they were looking at the world as though the kingdom of heaven is going to come to wipe out Rome. That would have been what's on their mind. The kingdom of heaven is, to, is, is coming like, like 10,000 angels to blow down Rome so that we get our land back. And in these parables, Jesus flips their perspective upside down, takes off their tinted lenses, because that's how they were looking with the world, and Jesus took off the yellow glasses so that they could see the truth of what the kingdom of heaven was going to look like. And as we look through these parables today, I think the, the Spirit of the Lord may take off any lenses that you have on how the kingdom of heaven is supposed to work with your life, so you see how the kingdom of heaven is actually supposed to work in your life. Am I making sense? All right, uh, Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 24. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. If you're there, say, yeah. yeah. If you need me to wait, say, hang on. Okay, Matthew chapter 24, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the, wheats, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. 
At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So in this parable, Jesus sowed good seeds into the world. That's his people. His people. And Satan sowed evil seeds into the world. And in this parable, the Jews would have been expecting Jesus to, uh, Jesus to say, you know, annihilate the, the weeds, annihilate the, the evil, and go chop off the head of the evil one. But instead, Jesus says, no, no, no. It's, uh, that's not how the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like patience. The kingdom of heaven is patient. Jesus says that he wants the good and evil to live together on the planet for a while. And despite all obstacles, the kingdom of heaven will prevail because the kingdom of heaven is patient. All throughout the Bible, we see instances where, where uh, it would have made sense for God just to eliminate the obstacle. Like in this story here, the Jews are thinking, God, the kingdom of heaven is like, it should, it should come and just annihilate Rome so we can have our land back. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm patient. I want Rome to stay right here. The good and the evil will rise up together, and I'll take care of it at the end. All throughout the Bible, there's examples of this. Started in the book of Genesis. God made Adam and Eve, and their sin separated them from God. That brought sin into the world. It wouldn't have been very hard to start over. God could have said, aw shucks, let me try this again. It was just Adam and Eve. He could have wiped them out and started over, right? Creation didn't work like I wanted. Let me do over, like kick, like dodgeball or kickball in third grade. You get the do over. God could have said do over, but that's not what he said. He, he said, we're going to let the weeds and the wheat coexist in the world. And at the end, he'll sort it out. Later, God's people were in uh, Egyptian slavery. It wouldn't have been very hard for God just to say, Egypt. And, and every Egyptian, including Pharaoh, just would have toppled right over. He could have done it. And, and the Jews could have just said, oh, sweet, and just left slavery. But that's not what God did. God sent Moses to miraculously lead them through Egypt, through their slavery, out of it. It didn't just end. He led them through it. And through that, God instituted an agreement, a covenant, where killing an innocent animal would pay the penalty of their sin, and they could have a, a relationship with, with, with God. And there was many obstacles along the way in the Old Testament where God could have just annihilated the opposition of God's people. He could have just annihilated the opposition and say, hey, I got this, guys. But instead... He kept the opposition there. He kept the obstacle there so that his people had to cry out to him and he would send a hero character, a David, a Samson, a whoever, all throughout the Old Testament. There was, there was always a hero character that would rise up and lead God's people through the obstacle. They still had to go fight. They still had to go through it. Finally, God sent Jesus Christ. God himself came as that sacrificial lamb for all mankind to save everyone, including Gentiles, people who aren't Jews like, like us. 
all throughout these stories, God could have just eliminated the obstacles. He could have just eliminated sin, but he didn't want to do that. He wants good and evil to live in the world at the same time because then when I choose to follow him, I'm choosing to follow him. If there wasn't sin in the world, I wouldn't have, had a, I wouldn't have a choice. But because there's sin in the world, I have a choice. I have the knowledge of good and evil. God wants both to be here for a time. Today, we are still living in hard times. On your way in today, you may have been begging Jesus, oh, Lord, save me from this thing. Heal my body. I'm sick. Heal, heal, heal my brokenness. Lord, help me get a raise. Lord, help me destroy this attitude I have. Lord, bring to life my dead dreams. Listen, Jesus could, can, may still heal your body, finance, destroy, or bring to life whatever. He can do it. But he often chooses to let good and bad rise up in the world together for the better purposes of his kingdom. Oh, that's pretty serious, Pastor Adam. You better have a scripture to back that up. I do, actually. Romans chapter 5. Yep. We also glory in our sufferings. I don't like that verse. Oh, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God is not surprised by the bad in the world. We may watch the news and we can get surprised. Oh, I can't believe what What's happening? I can't believe what that politician did. That, politi that, politi that politician's going to ruin everything. ISIS is going to take over the world. I can't believe what the United Methodist Church is going through. None of it, none of it surprises our Lord. He wants the wheat and the weeds to grow together. And as, as long as we're on this world, we're going to have uh, struggles, obstacles. And God, God, we can pray for it. God may eliminate it, but often he keeps it there. It's not because he's mean. It's because it forces our eyes to reach out to him and to focus on him. The wheat and the weeds will grow together, and God's kingdom will sort it out. Obstacles will never, never hinder the Lord's plan. Let's look at the next parable in uh, chapter 13, verse 31. Verse 31, if you're there, say, go. go. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and, it is, and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Here's number two. The kingdom of heaven starts small. The kingdom of heaven starts small. The Jews would have expected Jesus to say, the kingdom of heaven is like a grand sycamore tree. That's how it's going to come. 10,000 angels with bazookas ready to take out Rome. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of heaven doesn't start big. The kingdom of heaven starts small. And that's exactly... That's exactly how it did 
Jesus called 12 disciples. And in some regards, he called a bunch of losers. If I was Jesus, I would have called people with a pedigree. I would have called a fourth generation king. Come, follow me. I would have gone to some CEOs. You have some influence. Come follow me. You know how to lead. I'd get grand influencers. But that's not how Jesus thought. Jesus picked Andrew, a fisherman. That was the first disciple that Jesus picked. And Andrew went out and got his brother, Peter. And Jesus said, yeah, I want you too. So Peter and Andrew, a couple fishermen, is who Jesus picked first. It's all, I find it interesting. It's always Peter and Jesus. Like, like they were together a whole lot throughout the Gospels, Peter and Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, go tell my disciples and Peter. Like they were really close. I wonder how Andrew must have felt. Andrew recruited Peter to be a disciple, right? Jesus called Andrew. Andrew went back, brought back Peter. If I was Andrew, I'd, I, and Jesus kept being like, hey, Pete, come over here. I'd be like, I brought him. Like, don't I get the promotion? He probably felt small. Guess what? That's exactly how the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven starts small. So Jesus didn't pick the people out of the C-suite. Jesus picked fishermen. Jesus picked Simon. He didn't pick a president. He picked Simon the Zealot. He was a fanatic towards the Roman Empire. Jesus picked Matthew, a dishonest tax collector. So this man would have been very hated by, by fellow Jews. This guy would have been seen as a traitor. Not only is he tax collecting for Rome, the enemy, the, invading, the invasion, but he's a tax collector. And what they did is like, if the taxes is a dollar, where well, you're going to pay me 10 and I get the nine, I get to pocket some of it until Robin Hood comes and steals from... That's how Robin... I'm getting my stories mixed up. But the tax collectors would, would take their, theirs off the top. And so Matthew would have been very, very uh, hated. But that's exactly who Jesus picked. Not the, not the big spiritual giants, but the itty-bitty mustard seeds because the kingdom of heaven starts small. I believe there's a disease going on in the church. The disease is called the I'm just a disease. You can find it on Wikipedia. Not really, but you can edit Wikipedia, and if it's there by the end of tonight, that'd be awesome. If you know how to edit Wikipedia, please, someone go do it. That'd be so cool. I'm just a, the I'm just a disease. You know you have this if you think, if your internal talk is filled with I'm just a, I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. I'm just a kid. I'm just an old geezer. I'm just a, what's the, what's the opposite of a kid? What am I supposed to say? Old geezer. I'm just a little less than average. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. A, that's the I'm just a disease. Do you know what the medicine for the I'm, I'm just a disease is? The medicine for the I'm just a disease is to realize that I'm just a child of God. just a child of God? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a child of the, of the creator. Your dad made the universe. 
My brain's melting out of my ear. It's so cool. You're just a child of the creator and ruler of all the universe. Hashtag NBD, no big deal. First Timothy, Paul gives some instruction like this. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. I believe I'm correctly dividing the word of God when I say, don't let anyone look down on you because you are old. It works. Don't let anyone look down at you because you are just a dad, just a mom. Don't let anyone look down at you because of your, I'm just a, I'm just a, I don't belong. I'm just a different guy. I'm just a little less than average. You're just a child of the creator of the universe. Don't let anyone look down on you. You're called for a purpose. You're called for a plan. And God's not finished with you. Somebody say, preach it. Preach it, Pastor Adam. We often look at the world, I think it's our nature, it's kind of a, a, a normal thought to think that the kingdom of heaven is to be had by great spiritual giants, pastors, etc. But Jesus says, no, 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 the kingdom of heaven is to be had by all y'all. If Jesus was here today, he would say all y'all. He's from Mississippi too. All y'all are called. Amen? You have a purpose. Here's a couple ideas. If you're not sure what, they, what your purpose might be, I wrote down a couple ideas that might, might help you get going on the right path. Because the kingdom of heaven starts small. If you feel too small, I can't do anything in the kingdom of God. Yes, you can. Let me give you a couple ideas. Uh, one would be on Tuesday at 6.30, right here in this room, we're going to tell anybody that's here, it's an interest meeting for the Brazil mission trip. You could go to Brazil, and we'll tell you how to raise that money. There's, there's ways you can raise the money to go. We'll tell you how much it'll cost, and we'll tell you what you would do there. But what if your vacation wasn't to the Michigan Lakes? What if your vacation was a missions trip? Maybe. Come Tuesday at 6.30. Find out. It's just an interest meeting. You're not committing to anything. It's just Tuesday at 6.30. Come find out. Because the kingdom of heaven will start with small, with us, small us. Another thing, you could serve on the guest experience team. We have a team of people before and after service that help greet people that are coming in, and there are many roles that need to be filled on that team. You could do it. If you're just coming to church 15 minutes early, why not? If you're interested in serving on that team, uh, come up to, to me after service, let me know, because I'll get your name down, and we'll get you connected to the right people. If you're a parent, don't forget the kingdom of heaven starts small. It starts with your children. That, I mean, it starts with your job passing on the faith into your children. If you're a parent, I would encourage you to get on the New Hope Kids Facebook app and or get this app on your phone called the Parent Q. On both of those places, we give daily tips, things to say and do that will reinforce and continue the lesson. Because we're teaching them right now in class. We're teaching them. But you could do, say or do something. It'll take one minute a day, all week long, that will reinforce. Isn't that cool? So together we can work and, and 
put mustard seeds into our little kids because the kingdom of heaven starts small and grows to be big. So the kingdom of heaven starts small. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're whatever you are. You're a child of God. You've got a purpose. All right, let's look at the next one. This is Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. Verse 33. If you're there, say, let's hear it. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Uh, so the principle here is that the kingdom of heaven grows not just big, like, a, like a, from a mustard seed to a tree. The kingdom of heaven grows intensely. The growth of the kingdom infiltrates everything. If you put yeast into dough, as it, as it bakes and as it warms up, the yeast goes through every aspect of, of the dough. Here's number three. The kingdom of heaven saturates. Kingdom of heaven saturates. <clears throat> Again, the Jews would have been thinking that the kingdom of heaven is going to come down 100,000 angels. Half of them got machine guns. The other half have bazookas. We're going to fight off Rome. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm going to leave Rome right where they are. That's good. I'm going to leave the problems in your, in your world. That's not what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like yeast. And even though Rome is going to stay right there, the kingdom of heaven is going to infiltrate and saturate everything else, including Rome. The transforming power of the gospel of the kingdom changes everything. Social orders, people, economic relations, and primary loyalties. The gospel of the kingdom of Jesus today should be continually infiltrating and transforming how we live, every aspect of our lives. We know from the past 2,000 years, we can look back at history, and we see how Christianity has affected every generation from Jesus until today. You can't study history without Christianity popping up because it infiltrated everything. But today, the kingdom of heaven is still supposed to be infiltrating and affecting everything, not just in our society, but in our lives. Romans chapter 12 says um, that we should submit our, whole, our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And that word bodies meant we should submit our entire lives, all of it, to Jesus. I love the way uh, the message translation says it. Romans chapter 12, the first two verses say this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, every aspect, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. How powerful is that? Let me say it different. Don't become so well-adjusted to Northeast Indiana. Don't become so well-adjusted to school. Don't become so well-adjusted to your office, to your factory. Don't become so well-adjusted to your life that you just fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God 
You'll be changed from the inside out. The kingdom of heaven saturates. We should be changed from the inside out. Somebody say, preach it, Pastor Adam. All right, that was good. That was a weak preach it. I'll keep going. The gospel of the kingdom of Jesus should be continually infiltrating and transforming how we live. I want to ask you a few questions. And in your mind, would you take a little inventory on your own life? If your life is dough and you've received Jesus as your savior, you know, then you've received some of the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. How is the kingdom of heaven infiltrating the dough of your life? I'm going to ask you a few questions. Do a little inventory in your mind. Is the kingdom of heaven, is it in full control? Has it infiltrated your time? Your free time? Does the kingdom of heaven have total control over your family work priorities? Does the kingdom of heaven have control, full control, of your thoughts? Does the kingdom of heaven have full control over your money? Does the kingdom of heaven have full control over your relationships? There is no part of our lives that should be hidden from the Lord. Newsflash, there is no part of our lives that is hidden from the Lord. You're all saying amen, and if I was sitting there, I'd be like, yeah, amen, preach it. But we don't live like it, do we? If we sang, if we sang I surrender all truthfully, it would be, I surrender all except that. I surrender all except You don't know about that thing, God. You don't know about it. You know he knows. He's not hi- You're not hiding anything. But we live like that, don't we? There's this thing that we hang on to. Our whole life, every aspect of our life should be held before God. If we're going to worship him adequately, every aspect of our life should be held before God like this. But rather, we do this. I'm still worshiping. Are, are you? You're hiding it. Let me go on to the next one. Jesus continued this, uh, his teaching. Let's jump down to verse 44. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold everything he had and he bought that field. Uh, this story is actually plausible. So in those days, um, it was very common for enemies to come in and take land. And they didn't have like PNC Bank to go deposit their money. Like there, there was no internet. So they had to take whatever treasure, whatever money they had, and they would take a clay jar, pack it filled with all of their money, and they would dig a hole, bury their treasure, and run and hide. And then the enemy would come and take that land, and then presumably when the land got taken back or when the enemy left, they could come back to their land, dig up the treasure, and, you know, they got their money. That's, that was like their savings account. 
And so in this parable, a guy accidentally found a treasure in a field. But it wasn't his field, so he couldn't take it. So he buried it back up, and he went back to his house, and he fired up his laptop, and he sold off all his annuities. He put his car on eBay, sold it. He listed his house, and it sold. He took everything he had and sold it. And he took his entire estate and came, and he bought that field because he knew what was in that field a treasure grander than what he had. Here's number four. The kingdom of heaven is worth it. It's worth it. The kingdom of heaven is worth finding. And it's worth everything we've got. If you want to follow Jesus, it may cost you. Just like that man had to go sell everything he had. The kingdom of heaven will cost you. It may cost you respect in the eyes of some. Following Jesus may cost you loss of certain financial increases. If your financial increases are coming by, by way of greed or by uh, something that's dishonest, Stop that. To follow Jesus, it may cost you friends. It may cost you other relationships. It may cost you greed. It may cost you your current lifestyle. It may cost you your reputation of being the big, bad, tough, whatever. And to follow Jesus fully, it may cost you your pet sin. You know the thing that you should be holding up, holding up to God like this, but instead you're just hiding it from the pet sin, the one you want to hang on to. If we're going to follow Jesus fully, it may cost you. That too, Lord. That too. It may cost all of that, but following Jesus is worth it. If you know that it's worth it, turn to the person next to you and say, yep, it's worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. Turn, tell him it's worth it. Can we all stand up? You see, following Jesus may cost you all of that, and it may cost you your pet sin, and it may cost you needing to take that thing you're holding on to with a closed fist and opening it up before the Lord. It may cost you, but it's worth it. Because you know what's in the, you know what's buried you know what what's buried in the field. It's peace. It's peace like you've never known before. It's knowing that you're never alone ever again. Listen, if you don't come to Jesus because you want life to get easy, it ain't. It's, it may get harder, but you're not alone anymore. It's better. Being a Christian isn't easier, but it's better. Above all, it's worth it. Because when we surrender to the Lord and, and follow Jesus, that treasure is an everlasting personal relationship. Not only will you have a personal relationship with Jesus now on this earth, today, but after your life is over on this earth, your life will continue. And it 
it's either going to continue separated from God or it's going to continue in unity with the Lord. That's the treasure. That's what's worth it. To take all of our life, every area, and surrender it before the Lord. Can we pray? Lord, we know you're worth it. separated from you. I confess that I haven't done everything right. And I want you to be my Savior. Jesus, please come into my life. I open my hands. Lord, you can have control. Lord, I want you to infiltrate everything. You be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name. said that prayer for the first time, asking Jesus to be your Savior. The Bible's very clear. It takes a confession. Tell somebody. Tell somebody you came with. Come tell me. We may have some prayer partners here at the front. Uh, when I dismiss, there can be some people up here. They're ready to, ready to pray for anything, but they would love uh, to know that you made that decision to make Jesus your Savior and to submit your whole life to him. They have some next steps for you as well. Lord, I pray that as your church walks out of this room uh, for the rest of this week, we wouldn't just fit into our culture, but we would continually be reminded that we belong in your kingdom. So we'll make decisions that would uh, glorify your kingdom. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go with God. You're dismissed.